Thank you for reading so helpfully for us this morning. Thank you for leading so helpfully this morning. Uh, last October, um, our son and daughter-in-law took Susan and me over to Northern Ireland for a weekend trip. And it was quite special because it was the first opportunity uh, that our daughter-in-law had to go and visit and discover some of the places that, uh, where I grew up and where the boys spent a lot of their childhood holidays. And we went back to our home village in Northern Ireland, and one of the places we walked around was the, the churchyard of the church where I sang cherubically in the choir as a little boy. And there we stood by the graveside of where my mother and father are buried with the headstone which says, Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nearby was the grave of my grandmother and grandfather, and further along is the grave for my great-grandfather. And walking through that churchyard, I could see where lots of the people I knew from childhood had been buried. It's the sort of experience that stirs up uh, and reminds you of your own mortality. And we're all familiar with those experiences, which can often be very painful experiences, which remind us and stir up all sorts of emotions. Well, the reading that we've just heard from John's Gospel is one that brings us face to face with the mortality of Lazarus, and it brings us face to face with some of the very raw emotions of Mary and Martha as they grieved for their beloved brother. It's interesting that the passage earlier tells us Jesus loved this family, so it's not at all surprising that Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was taken ill and died, sent off a message asking Jesus to come. And when Jesus arrives, uh, Martha's the first to go out and meet him. And it's very clear to me as I read this and as I listen to it, that Martha is really struggling with the emotions stirred up by her brother's death. When Jesus arrives, you can hear the anger and the disappointment in her voice because she is complaining to Jesus when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's clear that she's feeling grief and anger, all of those normal experiences that, that wash over us when death comes close to us. Somehow she feels, if only Jesus had been here, if only he could have arrived sooner, perhaps this tragedy could have been avoided. And I think I'm justified in saying there's a note of anger there, because when her sister Mar Mary comes out, what does she say? She says exactly the same thing. She complains using exactly the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, perhaps the sisters are complaining a bit to Jesus because they wonder whether he could have turned up earlier. At the beginning of the chapter, it says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Why on earth did Jesus wait for two days? Well, it's useful to remember that it wasn't possible for the messenger that Mary and Martha sent to jump in a car or get on the mobile phone to tell Jesus what had happened. 
it took a whole day for the messenger to get from Bethany to where Jesus was. Jesus waited a couple of days, and it took him a whole day to get to Bethany, four days. And when he arrived, it said Lazarus had already been dead for four days. So perhaps that's part of the reason why Jesus didn't come straight away. But I think there's a deeper reason. Back in those days, many Jewish people believed that when a person died, their soul kept coming back to their grave every day just to check whether they really had died, just to check if there was a chance that they would come back to life. But after three days, they believed the soul gave up because everybody knew by that stage the person was well and truly dead. So if Jesus turns up on the fourth day, no one could accuse him of just, as it were, waking Lazarus from a coma. Everybody knew that Lazarus was well and truly dead. And so when Jesus returns and he raises Lazarus, it is a genuine resurrection from the dead. So first of all, there's this sense of the sisters complaining to Jesus. But yet, in the midst of all of those uncomfortable feelings, nevertheless, you get a feeling that they somehow have confidence that Jesus can do something. Lord, if you had been here, said Martha, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. There's a sense of confidence. There's a sense of her yearning for comfort. So will she find the comfort she's looking for? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, I don't think she instantly found that comforting because like many Jewish people, she believed that her brother would rise again on the last day. Yes, she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But she was hoping for something more than the last day. And then she was really taken by surprise because Jesus says something that brings her comfort and brings us comfort because she says, because he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when you read through John's gospel, you discover that there are lots of occasions where Jesus uses these sayings, I am. He talks about himself like this. He says, I am the bread of life, or I'm the light of the world, or I am the good shepherd. And now, faced with the death of his friend, he says to to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And you see, Jesus wants Martha to discover that resurrection is not just a piece of doctrine about the future, because he is the resurrection and he is standing there right in front of her. Resurrection life has burst into, into human history in him. He is the resurrection. And he proves that by raising Lazarus from the grave. Jesus prays, and when he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When Susan and I were married over 40 years ago, the minister conducting the service preached 
from another passage in John's Gospel from John chapter 2, where Jesus turns the water into wine at Cana in Galilee. And at the end of that story, John's Gospel says this, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Changing the water into wine was the first of his signs, and as we read on, all sorts of other things are described as signs as well. When he heals a sick child, that's another sign. When he feeds the 5,000, that's another sign. And here in chapter 11, when his critics and his enemies look at what has happened by raising Lazarus from the grave, they say, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. Now, we're familiar with wedding services and For example, the sign that's symbolized by exchanging rings, it's a sign of love, isn't it? It's a sign of a promise to go on loving. So what kind of sign was the raising of Lazarus? It's a sign which reveals who Jesus is, and it's a sign which reveals what Jesus came to do. This dramatic sign, to begin with, reveals the the divine nature of Jesus because Jewish people knew that only God could raise the dead. So if Jesus raises Lazarus, who is this? This is the divine Son of God. And by raising Lazarus, it's a dramatic sign of the salvation that Jesus brings, that He is the one who gives eternal life the life with God that begins now and goes on forever. When grieving Martha comes to Jesus with her sadness, with her complaints, and yet with her hope and confidence that Jesus might do something, Jesus surprises her by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who believes, lives and believes in me will never die. And he looks Martha in the eye and he says, do you believe this? And did you notice how Martha responds? She makes an explicit confession of faith in Jesus as the resurrection of the life. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. One writer says, Martha's confession is one of the dramatic high points of John's gospel. Martha's confession should be understood as something exemplary. Her faith and confidence in Jesus give her reassurance even in the face of death. The resurrection of Lazarus is a sign of who Jesus is, of the salvation he brings, and of course, it's a sign of something even greater, his own resurrection from the dead. And this morning, in the midst of everything that's going on here and in the midst of everything going on in our lives, the good news is that the living Jesus comes to meet us this morning by the power of the Spirit, and He stands in front of us as He stood in front of Martha, and He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And as we recognize the presence of the risen Christ in our midst, may God grant by the power of His Spirit that we too are able to say, yes, Lord, 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Some years ago when I was uh, teaching at Spurgeon's College, um, one of the uh, things that I found really helpful and meaningful was to take groups of students to visit the uh, head of pastoral care at the Royal Marsden Hospital in Sutton and Surrey. It's a hospital, of course, which you know is famous for its work with cancer patients, and it's the hospital where Lisa Rainier now works as a chaplain. When we visited the hospital, the uh, head of pastoral care was also a Baptist minister, and uh, he told, uh, shared ex his experiences of working with people uh, as they walked through their cancer journeys. And one of the things that he said, which sort of surprised me and stuck with me, he said, you know, I've had lots of Christians come into hospital and uh, going on their cancer journey with them. And, you know, over and over again, I've been surprised because they've said to me, you know, in my church, I've never heard a sermon about death, which surprised him and surprised me. This morning, we've looked at a passage which enables us to look at the reality of death. It's a passage which reminds us of the pain and grief and the raw emotions which Martha and Mary experienced when their brother Lazarus died. It's a very honest account of some of those painful experiences which many of us are very familiar with. But most important of all, it's a story which offers us hope because it affirms that death is not the end of the story. Because when we are confronted with death, we, there is the answer to death in the person of Jesus, in the person of the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Let me finish by reading a few words which honestly recognize the pain of death and the pain of death and dying, but point to our Christian hope. When Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he authenticates his claim to divine sonship. Death still affects those who turn to Jesus in faith, as it affected Lazarus and Jesus himself. But John employs this story to show that even though disciples may still die, Death does not end, but interrupts their life. Death still affects those who turn to Jesus in faith. But this story shows that even though disciples may still die, death does not end, but interrupts their life. Let's pause for a few moments in quietness in response to God's word.
the Lord is here. And the risen Lord stands before us. And he reminds us of this glorious truth. For he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Lord, open our eyes to recognize you. And by your spirit, enable us to say, Yes, Lord, we believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. In your name we pray. Amen. And we have an opportunity this morning to encounter the risen Lord as we gather together to share in communion in a few moments. We're going to sing a song of worship to lead us towards communion. Then Andy's going to come to welcome some new members, and then we will share in the bread and wine together. Um, this song goes from quite low to quite high, which is great for a bit of impact, but you